Welcome to another episode of the Ace of Spades Dynasty League Pod. Turn that shit up, please. Y'all know who the fuck it is, man. It's the host with the most Cam, aka the Dynasty Demigod, aka the Ace of Spades Thanos. A.K.A. The four-time champion. A.K.A. Mister, you fuck with me, you fucking with the best. Follow me on Twitter at Cam's Not Sober. I'm in the lab dolo today. Once again, on my David Ruffin shit. Cause ain't nobody coming and see you, Curtis. Now y'all know how I feel about my solo podcast. I mean, this that splat, this that splat right there. Now we will still have our Saturday Super Show with co-host Curtis, but I want to get away from delivering hour and a half long podcasts. So since there's so much to cover over the weekend, I thought I'd split them in two. And deliver a bonus episode today So let's kick this one off Like we kick off every episode With some NFL news and notes Starting with The NFL officially approving a 17 game season Now I'll talk about what this means For our league in a bit Let's get through the rest of the NFL news Items Tyler Lockett has been extended By the Seattle Seahawks I believe he signed a 4 year 63 million dollar deal Don't quote me on that I don't think this changes anything for his fantasy outlook Or any of the other skilled players on The Seattle Seahawks I think DK proved that he could put up Alpha wide receiver numbers even with Tyler Lockett Last year he put up 1300 yards And 10 touchdowns with Lockett playing every game And I think it's good news for Chris Carson as well. You have these two talented wide receivers on the outside, as well as the addition of Gerald Everett. So you can't really stack the box against that team. Obviously, you've got top five quarterback back there, Russell Wilson. Um, So I think it's good news for um, all parties involved. Next news item, Leonard Fournette, a.k.a. Lombardi Lenny, back in Tampa Bay. But Bruce Arians has praise for Keyshawn Vaughn, saying that he expects a breakout season from him. I don't really know what to think about this news, seeing as they just brought Leonard Fournette back, and they all also have uh, Ronald Jones in the fold, who's proven to be a very serviceable between the uh, between the tackles back. So I'm not really sure what Keyshawn Vaughn's role could be outside of uh, back end committee role, or unless Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones experiences some sort of injury. So if you're a Keyshawn Vaughn owner, I'd say just hold. But I wouldn't put too much stake into into that news. Last news item, Andy Dalton confirmed starter for my Chicago Bears. It hasn't been a good offseason if you're a Bears fan, I'll tell you that. Um, and it also doesn't look like we're going to be in a position to draft a quarterback. Uh, everything that I've seen in media outlets has been that you know the the big five in terms of qbs will be gone by pick 10 and i believe that just based on how the draft is stacking up and you know san francisco trading in two three and you know carolina panthers being there at eight they need a qb as well i doubt they let either of you know trey lance mac jones or justin fields fall past them so it's looking pretty bleak for chicago on the qb front last bit of news that i just got across uh, my notification brought my phone. The HPD has officially opened up an investigation against Sean Watson based on a complaint that they received on Friday. 
I don't know if that's this Friday or last Friday. I'm not going to read too much into that uh, right now because I just got the notification. Don't have time to read because I'm recording this podcast live. Let's get into the ace of spades news and notes. Welcome to the league, Ramon. Officially. That is a loud applause. But well-deserved. Ramon has been trying to join this league for about four or five years. I'm happy to have him here. Finally, um, sorry it's under these circumstances and with this team, but you get a, an opportunity to be a part of the league. And um, hopefully, with my help, you can rebuild that team and turn it around pretty quickly. But we'll get into that a bit later. Um, he is taking over team number 12. For those of you who are a bit confused, Mark has been kicked out of the league for the third time in just two months. That is an ace of spades record. Mark will not be returning. Don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, again, welcome to the league, Ramon, he goes by V's or OGV's, whatever y'all want to call him, please, you already sent your warm welcomes when he first joined permanently as the GM of team number 12, but continue to reach out to Ramon and get him familiar with the Dynasty League format, he isn't new to fantasy, but he's new to Dynasty, so let's make sure we're helping him uh, develop into a GM and get him up to speed on what our league entails and what's required to be successful here. Um, he's part of the reason I'm doing this episode today. A two-week grand final proposal. I just talked about this in the NFL news and notes with the NFL extending the regular season to 17 games. So what does that mean for our league? I know we had a vote in the chat, and everyone voted to keep the scheduling the same in terms of the regular season being weeks 1 through 13, the playoffs being weeks 14 through 16, and the grand final taking place week 16. But I'm torn on that because I'm not sure NFL teams will be resting players during week 17. There's only one bye week to be had in either conference. There isn't a two-week bye anymore. So we see teams, more teams at least, playing down to the wire for seeding. So what I don't want to do is cut the season short when the fantasy football season already comes and goes too quickly for those of us who love playing the game. So if there's relevant football to be played, I want our league to be a part of that. Now, whether that means extending the regular season to week 14 or doing a two week grand final where, you know, the median score in the head to head two weeks in a row is the grand final champion or something like I'm going to need you guys' help and input on that. So do your own research, come up with some ideas, think it over and let me know what you want to do, because I don't think cutting the season off and ending the way that we have been in the past is the right way. I don't think we can ignore the 17 game regular season. So you guys let me know what you think after you think it over. Ace of spades apparel is on the way. I believe shipping for the apparel, all the t-shirts and hoodies started this past week. You all should be receiving them in the next two weeks. Curtis, you should be receiving your bottle of Ace of Spades for being the 2020 World Champion sometime in the next two weeks as well. I mean, we're we're less than 30 days away from the NFL draft. The fantasy draft is, is 44 days away, to be exact. So both drafts are right around the corner. Please do not forget we are having a NFL draft watch party. During the first round of the NFL draft. And then we will also be live on Zoom for our Ace of Spades Dynasty League rookie and free agent draft. Again, the rookie draft will be rounds one through three and veterans will be drafted in rounds four and five. Next, NFL draft boards. 
This is like a March Madness bracket. If you want to start putting together your draft board predictions for the first round of the NFL draft, you can start doing so now and you can submit them whenever you want leading up to the draft on April 29th. All right. So, again, it's like a March Madness bracket where you try to predict all draft picks one through 32 and the person who predicts the most draft landing spots correctly will win $50. All right. So you can start putting your boys together now. You can wait till last minute. It doesn't matter. Just don't forget. It's free cash. The additional flex spot in Ace of Spades. We talked about this briefly. We voted on it. The vote was split. I'm still unsure what we're going to do if we're going to leave the format the same or if we are going to add another flex, it will be a wide receiver running back or tight end flex. I think we can pull it off without the league being more imbalanced. I'll have to dig into the rosters this weekend and try to get an idea of what it would look like, particularly for our league. But I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, I'll just have to, like I said, do some digging into the rosters. I don't want to try to fix something that isn't broken here. Um, so, yeah, wrapping up the off season, um I have some breaking news, some breaking Ace of Spades news. And, you know, I've gotten inquiries about this for the past couple months. And you guys have been wondering when it was going to happen. And I originally said it was going to happen after the rookie draft. But I've changed my mind. Transactions open tonight. You heard me correctly. Transactions for ad drop open tonight. I will not be tagging everyone in a waiver wire announcement in the chat. So if you miss out on this podcast, too fucking bad. As I mentioned before, I'd like to make the podcast the primary source of communication for all things Ace of Spades related. Special thanks to Rio and Danny, who I can say have unequivocally listened to every single episode of the podcast. So don't forget to put your bids in. Again, the waiver process starts Tonight, meaning waivers are locked and you can put bids in on players today and they will clear tonight. So let's leave it up to the first person who listens to the podcast today to disseminate that information throughout the league. Okay, so the first person who listens to this pod, please be a good league mate and hop in the chat and tag all for the people who will not have the opportunity to listen to the pod today. Hopefully you all do. This podcast should be pretty short. Let's talk about off-season fab dollars since we're opening up the waiver wire. Off-season fab will run all the way into the regular season starts, meaning if you use all of your fab now, you will not have any after the rookie draft. The fab dollars do not reset until the first weekend of the regular season so we have two hundred dollars now for instance if you spend two hundred dollars on jgr thega whiteside tonight you will have zero dollars to bid after our rookie and free agent draft okay moving on let's get into the first segment of this podcast i thought this was a pretty fun exercise and thank you all for participating we're gonna rank some gms Uh, i'm sure you guys remember me asking you all to rank Ace of Spades, GMs, 1 through 12. Most of you all didn't rank uh, Juan or uh, now Team 12 owned by V's, but we're going to rank the top 10, and I'll leave those two guys out of it because they would be, um, you know, 11 and 12. So let's have some fun and see how your peers ranked you. Let's start at 
Number 10. So, for instance, the grading scale that I used was a result of your voting. Highest possible score being a 10. Lowest possible score being a 1 even. So, let's start with the GM that landed in last place. So, 10th place in the polling. And and mind you, this is how your peers voted. BT comes in last place with a score of 1.6 out of a lowest possible score of 1. And just for for context, the only reason BT has a score of 1.6 instead of a 1.0 is because he voted himself the fourth best GM in the league uh, after Kurt. He was also the only GM in the league to not vote Kurt at number two, at least. So, uh, BT, I think you have some work to do, if, if nothing else, with the perception of, of, of uh, the type of GM you are uh, to your league mates. Um, everyone voted you last place but yourself, so you have some work to do with your team and um, probably a bit of, of work mending relationship with your league mates because uh, not one person voted you above last place in, in, the, in this poll. So, um, yeah, just some food for thought. Next, coming in at number nine, we got my guy Jay Mooley here with a, um, a score of two. Uh, remember, one being the lowest possible score. Um, I don't really know how to feel about this one. Um, I, I think I think Jamal is probably a bottom five GM, and because we don't have the other two GMs um, in, in involved in the league as of now, um, it's it's strange to kind of see him at the very bottom, only above BT. But um, yeah, I, I think it's probably fair. Again, you know, Jamal is somebody else who doesn't have a lot of involvement with the rest of the league. So um, if everybody's voting on his strategy and, and from a tactical standpoint, I guess you could put him here. I, I personally would have him above the next person that we're going to talk about. Uh, so let's get into the person who ranks eight out of 10 in our league. In terms of GM rankings voted on by our peers, we got Chris here with a score of 3.7. I mean, I've talked about Chris and his strategy at nauseum on this podcast. Um, you know, he's, he's someone who, who isn't very aggressive as a GM. He doesn't make a ton of moves. When he does make moves, they aren't bad moves. Um, I think Chris is a fine GM. He's just a bit boring. So I understand how the league voted him, you know, as the seventh best GM in the league. Next up, we got Ray with a score of 3.9. There wasn't a lot of variance in voting for Ray. He himself uh, ranked <laughs> uh, his own his own GM skills at at eight out of out of ten. So um, I actually had Ray much higher than he had himself, and a couple other people had Ray a bit higher. So he kind of tanked his own rating here. He probably could have surpassed Rio. Um, who, who's up next here with a score of 4.3. So Rio rounds off the top six, which is, you know, we'll call these guys playoff GMs, top half GMs. So Rio came in with a score of 4.3. Let's get into the top five. We got Danny here splitting hairs with the next three guys, but somehow uh, Danny was edged out by the guy that we're going to talk about next. Danny here with a 6.3 out of a possible highest score of 10. Next as the fourth ranked GM in the league. We got Justin here at a 6.4. Remember, 
Danny's sitting right below him at a 6.3. So so one vote in another direction could have had Danny uh, rounding off the top four here. At number three, man, we got Elmo here with a score 6.5. Let's fucking go, Elmo. Which a weak ass. So Elmo has been voted on by his peers as being a top three GM in our league. Elmo has come a long way. I think my rankings would have been a bit different. I would have had, you know, probably Danny at three, Elmo at four, Justin at five. But, I mean, we're splitting hairs. We're going from Danny with 6.3, Justin at 6.4, Elmo at 6.5 in terms of how you guys voted. Let's get into the top two. We got Kurt sitting here. Um... He was voted across the board as the second best GM in the league, um, except for one vote, which was BT. BT had Kurt at third, so it wasn't too egregious. Kurt sitting here with a score of 8.9. The consensus, pretty much uh, number two GM in the league in terms of talent and execution. And at number one with a perfect score of 10, y'all know who the fuck it is, man. Uh, it's the GM of KOD. Um, 10 out of 10 with 10 being the highest possible score um, I, I appreciate the, um, the, the the vote of confidence and praise from, from my league mates um, It feels good to be in this position I don't know I feel like I've been the best GM in the league for, for quite some time Maybe the past four years running Maybe the past five I'm not really sure But uh, from a tactical standpoint I don't think it's particularly close But it's good to get that feedback from my peers as well My, my goal over the next couple of years Is to is to bridge this gap And um, hopefully you know GMs like Danny and Elmo Can push the envelope And get a bit closer As well as Kurt So I just thought that was a pretty fun exercise BT you got some work to do man it's, You you and Jamal dude, Both of y'all got to be a little bit more active And a bit more aggressive in the market Like Jamal had a really good run last year he made some good strides in terms of strategy with his team he's just got to do a little more of it so uh, i thought that was pretty interesting to have the league put in you know their vote for who they thought were talented gms throughout and i don't think the voting surprised me too much instead um it was pretty on par with what i was thinking so anyways you guys put in the chat what you think about the voting let me know if you had any pushback you know if you guys want i can release the individual rankings and how everyone ranked each other individually i think that may be a little fun topic of conversation maybe it'll spark some more rivalries throughout the league so let me let me know if um if, if you guys want to do that or not in the chat um next news item uh, well not news item next um segment in the podcast we're going to do the year in review for team number 12 now owned by uh ramon so let's get right into it ramon aka OGVs, once again, welcome to the league. I know you've been trying to get in here for about uh, four or five years now, I believe. Sorry it's on these terms with this team, but I'm here to help. Um, My biggest advice, first and foremost, uh, not just specific to Dynasty advice, but specific towards Dynasty and this league in particular, be active. Um, Be extremely active and not just within the league in the chat or listening to the podcast, things like that. Like all those things are important, but be active season long with your football research of prospects as well as the current dynasty market. Uh, meaning keep up with all the trends. A dynasty league football is a lot like the stock market. Um, knowledge is king. The more you know, the more successful you will be. The more you build out strategy, the more successful you will be. The more your lack um um, the more you, you you lack effort in terms of doing research and staying on top of the dynasty market, the worse you will be. You won't have success in this league that's that's full of some pretty sharp GMs if you don't put in the work. So 
that's the the biggest piece of advice I can give you. Put the work in. Stay on top of, you know, Dynasty news and content. Stay active in the chat. Engage with the league mates. That's extremely important in our league, and that's one of the main reasons we have two new GMs um, after, you know, going quite some time without having to replace anybody several years. So be active. Engage with your league mates. Do your research. Know your shit. So I'm not going to use this segment to highlight Ramon's 2020 season because he wasn't a part of it. Instead, I'm taking this time to discuss his current depth chart, his biggest needs, assess his draft capital, and project his strategy. So let's look at his starters. Um, (laughs) At the quarterback position, he's got Jared Goff and Jordan Love. So one of his biggest needs will obviously be QB. He just dropped Drew Brees. Obviously, Drew Brees has recently retired. And he's working with, you know, pretty much a QB2 as his QB1. So first order of business is probably going to be to upgrade that QB position. Ramon, if you've never played in one before, this is a super flex league. What that means is more than likely to be a successful team in this league, you will need two startable quarterbacks. Right now, you only have one because Jordan Love is a second-year player playing behind Aaron Rodgers. He is not going to see the field unless there is an injury. And we don't know when Aaron Rodgers and the Packers will be parting ways. So you're going to want to fill that gap. At the running back position, the most valuable asset you have at the RB position is Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon is going into his age 28 season You being in a full rebuild with this team, you probably want to detach yourself from this asset, meaning trade this player away and try to get some draft compensation in return. I believe Melvin Gordon is going to have a pretty successful season. He no longer has competition with Philip Lindsay. We have to see what happens in the draft, whether or not they're going to add a running back on day two. If they don't, I think Melvin Gordon will be a fine fantasy asset for the upcoming season. But It really doesn't do your strategy any good by holding on to him. So while he still has some value, I'd recommend you moving on from him. Just for some dynasty insight and team building insight in general, you want two high floor quarterbacks that you can play on a weekly basis. You want at least two high floor, high ceiling running backs that you can play on a weekly basis and a bunch of wide receivers and at least a serviceable tight end. At minimum, that's what you want. Right now, you only have one startable QB. One startable RB. Let's get into the wide receivers. Tay Brown, the previous owner of this team, traded away his first round pick for DJ Chark. I'm still a believer in DJ Chark. I think he's talented, but I think he's more of a fringe, low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. You got Miko Hardman, who, I mean, I think Miko Hardman is ass. Uh, I think he's actually a bust, and I don't really believe in his talent at all. So sorry, you're going to learn on this podcast pretty quickly that I don't really pull any punches. And if you have a player on your team that's ass, I'm going to call him ass. Uh, you also have Rashard Higgins, Devin Duvernay. I mean, you you need you need some depth at your wide receiver position. So um, I'd say this is a position that you want to address. But the wide receiver position is the easiest position to address. And you have an early second round pick where you will be able to draft either, you know, um, a back end RB talent in the draft or a wide receiver. So I wouldn't worry about this position too much. I would prioritize QB and RB. Um, And you also have Quintez Cephas. Quintez Cephas could be, you know, a de facto, you know, top two receiver on this team with Jared Goff. He he should play a lot of snaps. They just lost Marvin 
uh, Jones in free agency. They just lost Kenny Galladay in free agency. If I'm not mistaken, the Lions have the most vacated targets available for wide receivers. So Quintez Cephas could have uh, some value in the upcoming years, just being you know the last man standing in that wide receiver core. Tight end position, you've got Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram had a really, really rough season last year, but as long as the Giants don't address the tight end position in the draft early, I think he will still be a top 15 tight end, which isn't saying much, but that's a serviceable enough option for you not to have to worry about that position, uh, at least this season. He's only 26 years old, so he's still young. He was suffering... Uh, He was dealing with, I should say, a a bunch of nagging injuries before this past season. So that could have slowed him down in terms of his production and what he was able to put out. But what he put on tape was was very disappointing. So this is also a position that you're going to want to address eventually and potentially, you know, this year. You know, it depends on, you know, what you're looking for with that pick. There are some good tight ends in this draft. We'll get into those over the upcoming episodes when I do my top 50 rookie profiles. So you will at least be able to address some of your needs in the upcoming draft. You just won't be able to address all of them because Tabron traded away his first round pick. So let's get back into the breakdown. We just talked about the roster. Let's dig into the biggest needs a bit more. Obviously, we just mentioned it. He needs a QB1. He needs an RB1. He needs an RB2. And I shouldn't really say he needs an RB2 because he has Melvin Gordon. And Melvin Gordon, I believe, will be a high-end RB2 this year. I just think he should be moving on from that player because of his age. That's another thing, Ramon, when you're learning Dynasty, when you are learning Dynasty, I can't even fucking speak right now, you want to try to build your team with younger assets because we keep these players year over year. You want to stay away, especially in a rebuild, from acquiring older players because they don't have long shelf lives, obviously. In a full rebuild, you don't want to go out and get a player that's 30 years old because by the, t- by the time the rest of your team is ready to produce and compete, that, t- that player will be on his way out of the league. So you want to try to sell whatever you have left for draft picks to draft younger players or just target younger players through trade in general. Uh, so be on the lookout for deep sleepers on the waiver wire. Look for people that are contenders that could benefit from, you know, a player like Melvin Gordon as their RB2 or RB3 and want to make a championship run. Those will be good trade partners if they can send you some young players or draft capital in return for that player. So you're in desperate need of a QB1, a higher end quarterback, because your current starting quarterback is more of a QB2. You need a RB1. You need a wide receiver one and another wide receiver two. And when I talk about, you know, QB1, RB1, wide receiver one, all that means when you have a position with a number at the end, one, two, three, it means essentially player tiers. So what we call or consider a QB1 is a top 12 player in terms of production at that position. So quarterbacks in terms of fantasy output last year, one through 12, those guys are QB1s. The quarterback that put up the 13th most fantasy points that would be the highest in QB2, if that makes sense. Same with running backs. So if Melvin Gordon, I don't know where he finished last year. I think he finished as a high-end RB. I think he finished as RB15. That would be considered a high-end RB2. So they're in tiers of 12. It's a 12-team league. Let's say theoretically everybody had an, an RB1. We would each have each. We would each have um, one of the top 12 RBs on our team. Um, there's probably a much easier way to explain that, but you, you get what the fuck I'm trying to say. Um, so this team is, is the only true rebuild in the team, 
but I have um, this team is the only true rebuild in the league, but I have trust in Ramon that he'll be able to fix it with time. Let's look at the draft capital. 2021 is ugly. Obviously, we just mentioned Tabron traded away his first round pick for DJ Chark. So the first pick Ramon will have in this upcoming draft is pick 14. It's not the worst case scenario. There will still be talented players at that pick 14, but it won't be a talented enough player to fill any of the gaping holes you have in your roster unless you hit on a player that's severely undervalued, which is a possibility. But that pick 14 is actually going to be pivotal um, in your upcoming season and years to come. You you don't want to miss on any picks um, when you're in a full rebuild. And obviously, we don't predict that. We just draft best player available. Hopefully, a really good player falls to you at 14, somebody that can play on your roster over the next several years. So not the worst case scenario to be in. I think you'll be able to land a really solid player there. This draft class isn't as top heavy as we thought it'd be, but I think it's a little bit deeper than we expected, at least for serviceable or startable players. Now, we talked about his 2021 draft capital. Let's talk about 2022, because 2022 for Ramon is another story. Now, Ramon, I want you to listen carefully. You should be spending this entire season flipping whatever valuable assets you have for draft compensation. You do not want to try to compete this year. Your goal should be the number one overall pick in 2022. That's what you should be playing for. Now, in terms of 2022 draft capital, so draft capital not this season but next season, your team has its own first-round pick, and I, I believe this is a team that could, could go winless. Um, so this team should earn the number one overall pick. Being a GM that took over an orphan team, you will also receive a compensatory pick. This pick will be in the top five. You're welcome. It's something that I do for all GMs that take over orphan teams. I figure out the landscape of the league and where their team stands, and then I give out compensatory picks based on team need. Your team has the highest need in the league, So that pick will fall somewhere in the top five along with the pick that you already own. Additionally, you will have an additional first round pick from a trade that was made last year. A a pretty good trade, in my opinion, uh, by the previous owner where you acquired a first round pick from another GM in the league. So you will have a total of three first round picks in the 2022 draft. That is going to be the foundation of your team moving forward. Protect those picks. And if anybody's sending you an offer for those picks, you better bust their fucking heads for them. All right? So you'll have two top five picks and one back-end first-round pick because the owner of that pick is a really good team. That pick will probably be, you know, 10, 11, 12, late first round. But it's a really good position to be in for a rebuilder to have that much draft capital just a season away. So it shouldn't take long to rebuild from here as long as you do your research. Make sure you hit on those draft picks. With the first overall pick, you'll be able to draft the best player on the board next year. More than likely, it'll be a quarterback. With the other top five pick, you could bridge the gap in your running back position. There's some really good running back prospects coming out next year. Remember the name, Brees Hall. You should be able to attack RB and QB next year. So hold those picks dearly. If you're looking to move those picks, make sure you charge a bunch. I don't know where the additional compensatory picks will land. You should have the first pick in the first round, second round, and third round, and we'll fit some more compensatory picks in there somewhere else. But uh, we'll see how the draft pans out and the offseason pans out next year. But you'll be in good shape nonetheless. Uh, Strategy, I just mentioned it. Um, You're playing for 2022, 2023. 
Uh, you're experiencing dynasty from the bottom, literally. It, it doesn't get any worse than this. However, this is probably the absolute best way to learn dynasty, uh, building a team from the ground up completely. So anyway, that's the year interview and year out projection for Ramon. Very happy to have you in the league. Please, Ramon, a rule of thumb once you listen to the podcast, always hop in the sleeper chat and deliver feedback. It's something I request from all the GMs just to make sure that um, we're staying in tune, listening to the podcast, delivering feedback, trying to make sure that we get better and better as a league and a group. So once you listen to the pod, hop in the chat, let me know what you think. All right, fellas, let's get into the final segment of the show. We're only at 30 minutes. I've been doing a pretty good job of staying under time. This is a bonus segment requested by Justin. I'm going to be going through my top 50 rookie profiles. Everybody knows how successful I've been drafting over the years, but please take these rankings with a grain of salt, you know, and this is pre-draft only. So my rankings and profiles for these players are subject to change based on landing spot a bit. Uh, But as of now, Um, These are my top 10. So again, this segment was suggested by Justin. I'm going to do players 10 to 1 or 1 to 10 today, and I'll do 10 per episode over the next five episodes. So when me and Kurt do the episode tomorrow, I will drop 10 more. Please keep in mind, I have my own process for ranking players. I generally value talent above all, but talent, upside, and positional scarcity weigh a ton in my rankings. I also weigh high-value seasons heavily. So if I have a running back and a wide receiver who I grade equally from a talent perspective and they both land in ideal spots with draft capital attached to them, I'm going to take the running back 10 out of 10 times. Reason being, you know, three, four, five seasons from a young elite workhorse RB is greater than seven or eight seasons from a young elite wide receiver. So, for instance, I'm, I'm taking five years of Christian McCaffrey over nine years of Michael Thomas, 10 out of 10 times. It's just how I build my teams, high floor, high ceiling. Even with the volatility at the running back position, I value high value ceilings above all. So Michael Thomas is generally never going to be able to give you a season that uh, Christian McCaffrey can deliver. They just touch the ball too many times. Running backs get so many high value touches in the passing game and the goal line if they're workhorses. So I tend to value those players more. Also, positional scarcity. There are way more wide receivers available from you know, um, a variance perspective than running backs. You get past RB18, those guys are pretty dog shit. You get past wide receiver 18, you still have wide receivers in the 30s and 40s that end the season that can deliver a wide receiver one upside on the week-to-week basis. So wide receiver is the easiest position to replace. So I tend to value those, um, you know, after I value quarterbacks, running backs, and some tight end prospects, but we'll get into that in a bit. Anyway, I spoke on landing spot in a bit, um, for a bit earlier. Does landing spot matter for prospects? Kind of. For elite players, I generally don't care um, as their talent tends to outlast their situations. So, for instance, I made the mistake a couple years ago that's well known in the league and passed on A.J. Brown because he landed with Marcus Mariota, didn't have a lot of faith in the quarterback of the offense. Next thing you know, the quarterback's Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown is arguably a top three wide receiver in Dynasty. You always draft talent first, even if they land in the landing spot that you don't think is favorable. They're going to outlast that landing spot if they're as talented as you thought they were. So I tend to value talent above all, but landing spot matters when you're splitting hairs. Now for middling talent, landing spot matters a lot. So, you know, 
that same example with with David Montgomery over AJ Brown, the reason that that's such you know a fantasy faux pas is because um, not only is he not a very talented player, David Montgomery, he also landed in a shit landing spot. So that's just a no no. You don't take a middling player in a mediocre landing spot over a super talented player in a shitty landing spot just because you think the running back is going to get a ton of volume. It just really works out. Anyway, let's get into my top 10. This is not going to be a surprise coming in as my number one prospect in this 2021. And keep in mind, these are super flex tight end premium rankings that I have for these prospects. Coming in at the 101, no surprise, is T-Law. Trevor Lawrence, everybody knows who this kid is. He's going to be the consensus 101 in most super flex formats. The kid is accurate at all levels of the field. He's accurate on the move. He's going to have the draft capital attached, presumably the first player off the board in the NFL draft. He's well-built and athletic, which means he has a rushing floor. This one is a no-brainer. Coming in as my number two-ranked prospect in this draft class. This shouldn't be a surprise to the league either. It's Justin Fields. Kid just ran a 4-4 on his pro day, a 4-4-4, um, unadjusted or, you know, it, it's it's a fake 40 time. But, uh, you know, for comparison's sake, I think Jalen Hurts ran like, um, you know, a 4-5-6 or close to a 4-6, something like that. So even if you adjust or take into account that this 40 was run at a pro day as opposed to the combine, he's the fastest quarterback we've seen since RG3. So Justin Fields arguably has more upside than any other QB in this class if his landing spot is favorable. I think he needs to land in a good scheme and a good system that can hide some of his flaws early on until he develops into, you know, the quarterback that I think he has the upside to become. Nonetheless, regardless landing spot, Justin Fields is my second ranked player in this class. My third ranked player in this class is actually two players. I have them tied here at spot three, but I'll speak on the most premium position first because this is how I tend to draft. Kyle Pitts. Um, you could argue that Kyle Pitts is the most talented skill player in this entire class. He's absolutely the most unique. Uh, he's six six, two hundred forty five pounds. He ran, you know, four four forty, four four, and some change. Uh, people have been comparing him to, you know, the most positive end of the spectrum being Calvin Johnson. The middle end of the spectrum being, um, um, uh, Darren Waller. Uh, so he's a, he's a very unique prospect with a ton of high praise coming out. And we play in a tight end premium league, which pushes Kyle Pitts up the board quite a bit. My other number three prospect, uh, Jamar Chase. He would have been the first wide receiver off the board last year in 2020. And that is a draft class that included CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson. He would have been the first off the board, even in that stacked wide receiver class. I, I think that's all I need to say about Jamar Chase coming in at number three. Next, number five prospect on my big board. Uh, Najee Harris. This one was tough because it gets a little muddy from here. Najee Harris isn't very fast, explosive, or shifty, but he's complete, and I think he's safe. He's going to get the draft capital. I think he's going to be the first running back off the board. He's an excellent pass catcher, and he's nimble for his size. I don't really care about landing spot for Najee. I think he's going to be a three-down back. Um, he has the skill set. Uh, he's big. He's powerful. He just doesn't have the long speed. It takes him a while to get up to speed. He's a long strider. And he doesn't have that short area quickness and agility and burst that some of the other RBs had in last year's class. So if he had declared last year, he probably would have been like RB5 or RB6. Like, yeah, I mean, last year was a really talented class. So I am paying close attention to the landing spot for Najee Harris, but I don't care about it too, too much. Number six on my big board here, Javante Williams. Um, he's currently my RB2. 
I think he's a bit more landing spot dependent than uh, any player mentioned before him so far. Uh, he's well built. He's rugged. He runs with a ton of power. He has good contact balance. The reason I care about landing spot for him is I, I you know, I think he can run gap or zone scheme, but not either scheme at a particularly high level. He's just a good player all around, uh, but he could be the most productive back of this class. I mean, um, I'm going to be watching the landing spots of, of most of these running backs. The next prospect on my board coming here at number seven is another quarterback. We got Trey Lance here as my seventh ring prospect, big body, big arm, got a rushing floor. They clocked him, I think in the mid four or fives. He didn't officially run a 40, but it doesn't matter. We've seen the kid run. Uh, he's a big, powerful QB. And he only played one year of full college football, and I think that's why he could potentially slide down draft boards. There have been some smoke about the 49ers taking him at the third spot. Uh, if they did that, I think the primary outcome would be him sitting behind Jimmy Garoppolo for a full season. I just don't think he's ready to to start now. Now, we also got some news that Jimmy G was potentially involved in, in trade conversations or that we found out what the San Francisco 49ers would be looking for in a trade with Jimmy G. They said they were asking for a first-round pick. Um, don't think they're going to get a first-round pick for Jimmy G because I don't think Jimmy G is good at football. But if they move on from Jimmy G and end up drafting Trey Lance, then that obviously changes things for his outlook. I'd expect him to start you know, week one if that happened. But uh, we don't know. Obviously, this could change after the NFL draft in terms of how I rank this player on my big board. But if he's a San Francisco 49er, he would he would be well inside the top eight. The next player on my big board, number eight, this may surprise people a bit. Wide receiver Jalen Waddle. Now, previously, this spot belonged to Rashad Bateman. And maybe I'm overreacting to a six foot, 190 pound frame. But if I'm going to go small, I'm going to go big. And uh, I think Jalen Waddle plays so much bigger than his size. He's super explosive, has a much higher ceiling than any other wide receiver in this class, not named Jamar Chase, in my opinion. And um, I'm really excited to see uh, Jalen Waddle's landing spot because I think he is one of the few wide receivers where landing spot really matters. I mean, some people have comped him to Tyreek Hill over you know the past year or so, especially when he was having uh, the phenomenal start to his junior year campaign before he got injured. He, he's just super explosive. And don't let anybody tell you that he's he's just another Henry Ruggs because he's so much better of a prospect than Henry Ruggs. He's so much more refined. And he's so such a, he's a much better athlete. So I think Jalen Waddle's landing spot is going to matter. If he lands on a creative offense that I trust to utilize his skill set and get the most out of him as, as, as a player, he, he's going to be firmly in, in, in my top eight. But um, that's where I have him now, uh, pending landing spot. Next, Rashad Bateman. Man, this one was tough. Rashad Bateman, uh, he was the wide receiver too for so long um, in my offseason evaluation. But my Michael Thomas dreams are over for Rashad Bateman. I mean, he's he's not 6'2", 210 as he was listed on ESPN. He weighed in at, you know, uh, 190 pounds at six feet even, pretty much. But he can still be a great pro. He, he's polished, well-rounded route runner. He understands the middle of the field. He can work well there. He could be used as a big slot. You know, he played on the team with Tyler Johnson um, for the Minnesota Gophers last year, and they were both, like, super productive. Rashad Bateman was the alpha on that team, and I think Tyler Johnson's got some juice. And, you know, Rashad Bateman, I don't really care about his landing spot. I think his skill set, he can play, you know, anywhere if they if they utilize his skill set properly. Uh, and like I said, he, he's probably, you know, um, the most polished and nuanced, um, um, you know, slot receiver in, in, in this class. And I don't want to disrespect him by projecting him as a slot receiver, but based on his weigh-in and his, his measurables, that's that's where I see him. 
but who knows? He could surprise me, and um, he he could still be you know like a Keenan Allen type, even though I think he's got to pack on some more weight if he even wants to be on that level. Um, next to round out my top ten as we're creeping up on forty five minutes for this episode, Devontae Smith. He is the best. Um, how, how can I say this? He's the most complete wide receiver in this class in terms of his nuance, route running, acceleration, deceleration on his routes. He can play inside out. He has tremendous ball skills. The only knock on him is is, is his size. I mean, they, they think he's 170 pounds and, um, you know, a little over six feet. He's, he's a small. And we won't know how successful he is playing on the outside against NFL corners until he takes the field. So that's why I have him here at my wide receiver four after Jamar Chase. After Jalen Waddle, out of Rashad Bateman, uh, after Rashad Bateman, uh, Devontae Smith. I think he's going to be a really good pro, but I project him as more of a wide receiver two in the NFL and not a wide receiver one. Don't really care about Devontae Smith's landing spot, just like Rashad Bateman. I think they're just really, really polished wide receivers, like uh, you know Jamar Chase. I think the only wide receiver out of the four that I really care about landing spot for is Jalen Waddle, just because I think you have to scheme him uh, in ways kind of like the the chief scheme. Um, I'm Tyree Kill, so. These guys are pretty. I feel pretty safe with. These guys are all going to get draft capital. I'm not sure if Rashad Bateman is going to make it into the first round. After his testing, I would say no. But Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, these, these guys are going to be first-round talent. So um, that's what you want when you're um, drafting, especially a wide receiver. You, you want someone with high draft capital attached to them because you know the team is going to invest in them and figure out ways to get them the ball. Um, so all these guys are going to be pretty safe bets in fantasy, in my opinion. I may even be moving Rashad Bateman down after the NFL draft, depending on what type of draft capital he gets. If he falls to like the late second round, early third round, I, I won't feel as good about him projecting out to the 2021 season, but we'll see. And that's the show. Thanks for listening, fellas. As always, please tune into our next episode. We're going to be doing our upcoming episodes based on your suggestions as we did today. It was suggested that we do a year in review for Ramon's team by Ramon, and it was su- suggested that we do rookie prospect profiles by Justin. We're going to continue these conversations and talk about more rookies tomorrow, as well as do the year in review for BT. Anyway, I'm rambling, man. Drop the outro. Holla at you boys later. And remember, It's up there And it's still Stuck there Peace